This is Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Here we go. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles too had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to, went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them. But Peter began and explained it to them point by point, saying, Well, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, an object, something like a large sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came to me. As I, star- as I stared at it, I looked into it and saw four-footed animals on the earth, wild animals, reptiles, and wild birds. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, slaughter, and eat. But I said, Oh, certainly not, Lord, for nothing defiled or richly unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice replied a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, you must consider ritually you must not consider ritually unclean this happened 3 times and then everything was pulled up into heaven again at that very moment three men sent to me from Caesarea approached the house where where we, where we were staying the spirit told me to accompany them without hesitation these six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house he informed us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter, who will speak a message to you by which you and your entire household will be saved. Then as, he be- then as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, as he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? When they heard this, they ceased ceased their objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted the repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. Lord Jesus, open your word to us this morning. Lord, teach us, God, what it means to grasp your wonderful, amazing, never-ending Grace, God, stir in our hearts the areas where you desire for us to change, the, the mindsets and the attitudes that need to be bowed down and, and changed and given over to you, Lord. Show us, Lord, the goodness of the gospel of grace. Show us here this morning your glory and your goodness. We welcome your spirit, Lord, to speak here today. Speak through me, Lord Jesus. Let it be your words and not mine. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, my son is really into Jurassic World right now. <laughs> and you've seen the new ones. And so there's the Jurassic Park, of course, which we just watched the, the, you know, last week before they, or a couple weeks ago before they left. But, the, but, but Jackson is really, really, really loves the, the second one of the, of the Jurassic World series. It's the Fallen Kingdom one where the, you know, the, the volcano explodes and, and they're trying to rescue all the dinosaurs and, and, and bring them back. <clears throat> and my, my favorite scene from this movie is actually one where they're on a plane at the very beginning where they're getting Owen, the guy on the right. He's kind of the dinosaur expert guy. And this guy on the left is a computer, a computer analyst, nerd, um, who doesn't get out much, 
Um, but he, so they're, so they're talking on the plane, and Owen's like, oh, because this guy's kind of like really fidgeting and really anxious, and he's like, nervous flyer? And Franklin says, well, would you ride a thousand pound horse on big, with big wheels on the sides? Because he's anxious about, anxious about flying. And Owen said, well, I rode a motorcycle through the jungle with a pack of raptors. And then Franklin said, we're not compatible. And so these, these, this juxtaposition of these two characters uh, on this plane about to go rescue the raptors, or about to go rescue the, the dinosaurs. And uh, one is very qualified to be with the dinosaurs. The other one's just there for the computers, just to open the gates by, by hand, by, you know, manually. And so this can often be how people view the church and people... Uh, how, how people come to see people in the church and people in the culture. And how, how oftentimes people see people in the culture, how they see the people in the church. We, it's almost like this, we're not compatible. So many people have had negative encounters with Christians that drove them away from Christ and his people. We, many of us have, have been those people. And we're, but we're here. We're here again because God has led us back. He said, I'm not done. Some just try to see, some, some kind of see that the, the values of the church clash with the culture. And these, these things are true. Um, we're not going to get along sometimes with, the, you know, with those whose moral premise is different than our own. And so the church and the culture can clash at times. At a lot of times. Kingdom values are not worldly values. And so it's not that we have this clash, but we have a difference. And so when we come to this, 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 this crossroads, of grace, as we see in our passage here this morning, the 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 believers in Jerusalem had heard what God did. If you remember what we talked about last week, what God did was that God drove God, you know, divinely brought these people together. You know, div- you know brought um, brought uh, you know the Peter and these Jews from Jerusalem, and brought them to Cornelius, who was a centurion a leader in the church, I'm sorry, a leader in the Roman, Roman um, legion. And he was over Caesarea Maritima. And God orchestrated it to where Peter would go and speak the gospel to these Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so God is teaching, God in that moment taught Peter and these disciples, these Jewish disciples, Grace the radical grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is for the whole world. It's not just for the Jews. It's for Gentiles. It's for everyone. Don't call what I call clean, unclean. Get your mind wrapped around this, Peter, because this is the future of the church. This is the future of my kingdom. You need to grasp it now. So you need to grasp that grace. And so this is Peter going back to Jerusalem after all the disciples have heard what's gone, what's, what went on up there in Caesarea, and now he's now Peter is defending it. 
He's like, y'all, it was amazing. Well, they can't just take his word. So he gives them a testimony. Because when you grasp grace, it changes everything and stirs you to praise God. This is the whole point of the gospel is grace. Grace, not another system of rules and do's and don'ts and regulations. Nor is it a licentiousness that you're paid for now, so now you can just go do whatever you want. It's not legalism and it's not licentiousness. It is the gospel of freedom. It is the gospel of grace. And it changes everything. The Gentiles had to come to grips themselves with grace. That was our first point that we learned last week. That they first had to grasp the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why God sent Peter to the Gentiles. They had to get it. They were worshiping the Jewish God. They would go to the temple and worship and they were God-fearers. But they didn't yet know Jesus. They needed Jesus just as much as the Jews in in Jerusalem needed Jesus. How much the Jews in all of Judea needed Jesus. They also needed Jesus. Peter himself had to come to grips with grace. And now the religious party of the circumcision had to come to grips with grace. And we, in the church today, have to come to grips with grace. We have to come to grips with what that really truly means. Because honestly, I mean, if you've been here for any any amount of time, like you'll know that, that I talk about that we have been we have been we have been grown up in a culture in a Christian culture that is actually kind of anti gospel is anti grace it is cre- is created over the last about seventeen hundred years or so this system of Christian laws of Christian religion of do's and don'ts and so our Christian faith in the church has become co- sort of a a behavior modification program so much so that like people would even you know, you know, people would leave the church, but then they'd come back when they had kids because it was they would want they wanted their kids to learn good morals, which of course that whole mentality has gone out the window now. The church is seen as brainwashing and distortions of truth, you know, and 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 you know, bigotry and hatefulness, and so people don't even bring their kids back to church very often these days because they don't see it as beneficial. But it's this mentality of that we have a Christian law, like the Jews had a Mosaic law, we now have the Jesus law. And that's not grace. That is not the gospel. That is not our faith. And so we in the church have to wrap our minds around what is grace? What is our faith? What is the gospel? What is, what is it that we've been set free from? When we grasp grace, it changes everything. It changes how we view God. It, it changes how we view ourselves. It changes how we view the gospel in the church. It changes how we view outsiders and you know, others. Outsiders and insiders. And it also changes how we view the entire world. And really, all of existence. You can go deep into a very heavy existential argument. Oh, yeah, existentialism. Like, what is the reality that we live in? And the gospel of grace 
changes everything. Because when we get it, when we get it, when we grasp it, when we see it, when we understand it, it alleviates fear. It doesn't create more fear. I'm not good enough for God. I don't measure up. I've done too much bad. It also alleviates pride. Oh, look at me. Look how much I've done. God doesn't care. Because it's my grace. Not about works. Not about do the do's and the don'ts. It's about being, not doing. It alleviates anger and hatred. And it stirs joy. It stirs compassion. It stirs praise to God. It awakens blessing. And it, it unleashes power. When we get grace, when we get the gospel, it unleashes the full power of the Holy Spirit in and through you. Because you realize it's not about you. It's about Him. It's about what He's done. It's what He did on the cross. It's what He does every day through empowering you with His Holy Spirit. It's every, every day spending time with Him in a relationship with Him. When we get it, it changes everything. Now let's look at our passage here this morning. The Jewish believers took issue with grace. They're trying to wrap their minds around it, remember? So he said, you know, those of the circumcision, as it talks about. Uh, <clears throat> and so basically, so the, the circumcision is the Messianic Jews. So these are the people who in Jerusalem and Judea came to faith in Jesus, probably during the, the, during the day of Pentecost, um, and have, or have, have since come to faith in Jesus. These are the priests as well, included. These are the, the religious folks, maybe a lot of the scribes. The ones that are they're even like a, probably quite a few Pharisees come to faith in Jesus. And so they are Messianic, but they are very, very stringent because they, they were raised in it. They were raised in the do and the don't mentality. They were raised in the morality of, of what they believed, of their, of their faith, of Judaism, of the laws. You have to go do this and don't do that and do this and don't eat that and don't, do, go, don't go here. But also then the extras that that the Jewish people and the Pharisees you know heaped on top of that, like don't go into a, a Gentile's house, don't eat with Gentiles, don't do this, don't if when you go into a Gentile land or even the Samaritans, you shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them because they're dirty, because they're less than, and you show them and you tell them and you make sure that they know that you're better than them. There was this Jewish. Arrogance. This is the same group that Paul writes entire letters to. This is the you know the, the ones in the in, you know the Galatian church and the Roman church. He's writing letters to people who are under these kinds of people. The Ju- the Judaizers, as it's called, the, the party of the circumcision. And basically, like, he writes these things to, to basically refute everything that they're teaching about law and grace and to help the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers come together in love and harmony to share the same faith of Jesus Christ together. 
These are the ones that will eventually later on become those who say Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus law. Or they have to come to Judaism first, become a proselyte of Judaism, and then add Jesus on top of that. Add faith in Jesus to their Jewish faith. But they have to first become a, a proselyte into the Jewish nation of Israel. And Paul's like, no. Peter's like, no. Which we'll get to in, you know, later, in later chapters. But so they took issue. What does that mean? So it took issue, it's this concept as it's translated. The word means like to judge or con- they, they were judging or condemning them. To divide or to separate themselves from them. They were disputing, arguing, and chastising them. <clears throat> they put themselves into a defensive posture so that if they disagreed with them, they could separate and divide from them and say, go away. Which is kind of difficult because Peter was kind of like the guy who was, you know, Jesus' ambassador, Jesus' leader that he rose up specifically. And so these people are posturing themselves against Jesus' closest disciple. So they're posturing themselves in a way of saying, we want to make sure that you've got it right for us to join you relationally and, and spiritually. The Jewish believers were cool with the grace of Christ when it was for them. The Jewish believers are now learning that the gospel is going to an entire other culture. Because their culture has taught them to despise other cultures. I mean, since they were children, think about this. Those who they were taught to hate. Those who they were taught to despise. Those who they were taught to distrust, to devalue. We have that ourselves. Those who, other, the, you know, the other denominations that aren't us. The other political party that's not us. The other gender even. The other, you know, the other just kind of fill in the blank, other. That you are taught these people are less than or to be less valued. And that's who he's talking about here. The gospel wants, Jesus wants the gospel to go to them. And he wants you, maybe not to change your mind about, you know, about that difference between them, but God's grace wants to go to them so that God can change them, so that God can infiltrate their heart, so that God can change their mind, so that God can bring his grace where it's needed most. And they're not dirty outsiders. Their issue was that he went to uncircumcised men. They're basically saying, you know, you didn't even try to avoid the Gentiles, which is what all Jews do. You know, it's in a culture of separation from an expression of protest against, you know, not necessarily even the people group, but even the occupation as they believed it. They believed that there was this oppressive regime that had moved in and taken power that they were disagreeing with and saw as evil. And so they treated them as that. Versus the, you need the gospel. You need Jesus. You need hope. You need joy. You don't need to change your political affiliations. You need to change your spiritual affiliations. Everything 
here in, in this in this passage here, in this testimony, is Peter, um, and everything that follows here is Peter's defense of what he did, what happened. But it's interesting, like you know, Luke makes a point of Peter giving them an orderly account. This is the same words, uh, same phrase that Luke uses at the beginning of his gospel account. He wrote the the gospel of Luke to give an orderly account of the experiences of what happened. And it's interesting. So Peter Wagner said this. He says, Peter defended his activities by describing his ministry experience rather than arguing theology. That's what Luke did. He didn't try to argue theology. He just shared the ministry experience of Jesus. And that's what changed people's hearts. That's what changes people's minds. It's not vice versa. You know, theology emerges from ministry, not vice versa. Because when it is clearly a move of God, as Peter said, who am I to stand in the way? Who are we to stand in the way if it's a move of God? And this is where the the grasping comes into play. When we grasp grace, but here's the thing about, about grasping grace, it takes time. It may take a split second, your, your mind might be changed in a, in a moment, in an instant. Sometimes it might take years. It might take conversations and relationship. That's the, that's the best way to help someone transform their thinking, transform their mind. It's not by arguing with them and telling them they're wrong and berating them and rebuking them and chastising them. It's walking with them, being patient with them, asking good questions. Engaging in a relationship, not being accusatory. That's not the way you change hearts and how, and how people help people to change their minds and grasp grace. You don't grasp grace by grumbling. You grasp grace through grace. Peter was patient with these guys to bring them along. This was a a slow transition for them out of racism, really, if you think about it. And it's interesting to see that even for Peter, it's repeated over and over again, three times, three times, three times. He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times. He had to show him this vision of of this sheet coming down from heaven with all these unclean animals in it. Three times. And they speak the same words. Don't call what I call clean, unclean, three times. You don't get just get it the first time, oftentimes. Often, God is patient. God will work with you. God gives you what? Grace. Grace to walk in this. Grace to wrestle with it. Grace to doubt it. Grace to be angry. Grace to be questioning. Grace to argue with Him. Wrestle with the Bible. Wrestle with theology. That's why our theology pub exists. Is is to set up, and that's why we do it around the tables here. Is to is to provide a safe, a safe place to ask questions. What is going on with my microphone? It's not. No, it's not. Is a place we want a place for for us to be able to wrestle with our faith, to ask questions, to doubt to poke holes, to throw torpedoes, 
to wrestle in the Word, to bounce ideas off each other, to ask questions. I mean, that's the reason I went to school, was to be able to ask, answer questions, to be able to teach and for us to understand the Bible. It's not just to leave you guys high and dry and you know, figure it out on, yourself, on your own. Like, I'm here to be a help. If you have questions about, about the Bible, call me. Let's go to coffee. I love coffee. I know some great coffee places. <laughs> or lunch. Lunch places. Great. I know. Great burger. <laughs> but it's a place. The church is supposed to be a place to wrestle, to question, and to form our faith. It's not just a place to, the pastor said it, I believe it, that settles it. Or the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. It's not just a, you need to just you know, take it cold turkey. You know, just take it at face value. Wrestle with it. Question it. Ask questions of God. So that he can give you answers. It took time for Peter to grasp different elements of his own faith. So he was patient to bring others along as well. And we also need to do the same. Not just with ourselves, but with others. With one another but also people in the church. People at other churches that, might, that may be more religious or less religious. Patience. Because what is the very first aspect of love in 1 Corinthians 13? Patience. Love is patient. Love is patient. And like the adage says, God doesn't give you patience. He gives you opportunities to be patient. When you pray for it, we need to be patient with religious folks and with licentious folks, legalistic and and licentious. Many of us used to be them. Many of us know what it what it feels like to have been religious. I mean, I will be the first one to tell you, I was great at being a cage stage Calvinist. I was angry, but I, but I was not only angry, I was passionate. I would call it passionate. I was a passionate Calvinist. And if you, if you didn't, all, you, know, you weren't saved by Jesus and Calvin, you didn't know the gospel. And I was very religious, very do's and don'ts. I preached a sermon called Don't Be a Whore to teenagers. Of course, the context was like from Ezekiel and Jeremiah about being, being faithful to the Lord. But it was, it was so heavy works-based. I was so religious and so good at being religious. Beating people over the head with conviction. It's my job to convict you. Convict you. So we need to receive grace ourselves. Give yourself grace. First, let God show you and reveal to you his great grace for you. His love and joy in you. Because when you experience grace, you can better give grace. So first encounter it yourself. Because when you experience greater grace... God, God's grace more abounds. And on the flip side too, 
if the if you're if you're here this morning and it's not so much that you've been re- really religious but you've been licentious you've just kind of thrown it off the rails and done whatever you wanted and you're like oh god can't save me god god doesn't have enough grace for me can i tell you he does god's grace abounds more and more and more above and beyond anything we could ever comprehend romans 5 i love this passage the law came along to multiply the trespass but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where much sin was, even more grace abounds. The Gentiles' faith will be different. This is God showing him the kind of grace that the, that the Gentiles were going to receive. That, may have, that, may be, that was different than the Jewish people, the Jewish grace that they experienced. And we'll, we'll talk a lot more about this when, when we come to it, um, when, when it comes to the argumentation of the circumcision party and Paul with the Galatians. That's going to that's gonna take a while. <clears throat> but the circumcision party here... However, as well within their lane. What is going on? Is it this thing? I don't know. It's weird. Because these Jewish folk, these Jewish Christians, are well within their lane at this point to have Peter explain himself and what happened. Because here's the thing. God is always doing and teaching a new thing. And always revealing something new about his vast and eternal character. New joys, new mercies, new graces, new glories to experience. God is always doing something and teaching something new. But there is always also wisdom to discern what is God-breathed and what is man-breathed. Because just because it's new doesn't mean it's godly. Just because it's 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 a it's it's fresh doesn't mean it's faithful we have to be discerning about these things as uh, nt Wright also said not all not all bright ideas are good ideas are sorry not all bright ideas are great ideas not all good ideas are from god we need to be anchored to the word of god and community to make sure that we are truly hearing and experiencing the Lord. This is why we cannot form our faith by ourselves. This is why we need community. We need the church. We need authority. We need the pastors. We need people who have done the research. We, have the, we need people that have done the reading, who have, who have been faithful for years, for decades, in studying the Word of God to, to, to weigh things against. To, to bounce ideas off of. Because there are some really great ideas out there. There are some new, some new revelations that are coming from, from new discoveries. Especially in archaeology. Man, there's been some amazing discoveries in archaeology about our faith from over in the Holy Land. <clears throat> it's been amazing this, these last five years just to see the, the amazing things that have come out of the ground that prove over and over and over again the validity and the joy and the glory of our faith. But there's also some research out there that's like, nah, not so much. 
That's, that's, that's fun and it's a good thought, but it's not actually not biblical. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's, it's godly. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's true. We still need to, to be able to distinguish the truth among movements and teachings that are not of God and are of human innovation. For us today, as with them back then, we have to navigate the dangers of law and licentious and license of stubbornness and susceptibility. We cannot look at theology as black and white, but as heavily nuanced and dynamic. Because the more rigid we are, the more easily our faith can break. And that's what happened to the Pharisees when they encountered Jesus. When the super stringent and black and white, very strict minded, very settled in their beliefs, very settled in their, in their, their doctrine, encountered grace, it shattered them. And it got them killed. N.T. Wright said, the admission of Gentiles into God's people formed around Jesus without needing to take on the marks of Jewish identity, i.e. circumcision and food taboos, was one of the central and more important things that he, Luke, wanted to convey. He's trying to, Luke is trying to paint this picture for the readers of grace, of what it looks like to receive Jesus, to receive grace and to have an open mind and an open heart to what God is doing. <clears throat> Don't be so firm in your, doc, in your doctrines and your dogma that you miss Jesus. Like the Pharisees and the religious folks did. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. <clears throat> And even their expression, because the Gentiles' faith is going to be different. Because the Gentiles are not under the Mosaic law. Because they have the same Jesus, but they're not Jews. We cannot expect to place ourselves underneath the Jewish laws. And so let me say this, and let me try to say it very carefully. I love the Old Testament. The First Testament, as I call it. We are not bound by the laws of the Old Testament and the guilt and the shame that people often try to heap onto the church from the Old Testament, from the First Testament. We are under the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. We can read the Old Testament, the First Covenant, with God's people and see and receive the heart of God. We have to understand and receive it rightly and interpret it rightly. Even Jesus himself, was a Jewish man who was born in a Jewish nation under the Jewish Mosaic laws. The new covenant didn't begin until after he, re- he rose from the dead. That's when the new covenant started. That's when the Gentiles were welcomed in. And we'll get to this a, a little bit later, but the Jewish law is not binding on Christians. All of it has been fulfilled. Even in the time of Jesus, he said, you know, he, he spoke, and it's actually a little footnote of Luke. He said, by saying these things, God, you know, Jesus declared all foods clean. He was already starting to form a theology and a doctrine and a practice for the new covenant people. That was Jesus' ministry, was forming and giving, you know, kind of helping people to awaken to a new way, to a... <coughs> Excuse me, to a fulfilled way. 
Now, that is not to say that we don't read the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. We should read the Old Testament, but we need to read it through the lens of grace, through the lens of the finished work of Jesus on the cross as our lens looking back. So we can observe the, 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 the festivals. I love celebrating the festivals. I would rather celebrate the festivals than American holidays, than Western holidays like Halloween, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, all these other. I would love, rather celebrate Passover and Sukkot and all these different Jewish festivals, you know, and Hanukkah and Purim, like all these festivals that have deep and beautiful godly roots in the first covenant that Jesus has fulfilled. And we can celebrate Jesus through, this, through, serving, through celebrating the festivals. But it's not binding. You don't have to celebrate Passover. You don't have to celebrate Purim. You don't have to celebrate Hanukkah or Sukkot. You can celebrate Halloween. You can celebrate Christmas. You can celebrate Easter. You can celebrate um, Valentine's Day. You can celebrate other things. It's not a stringent law. That's what grace is. It's a freedom. He has freed us from. That's the entire context of the book of Galatians, which we'll get to later. But here's a little spoiler alert. The entire book of Revelation, I'm sorry, of Galatians, is you are freed from the law. Stop trying to submit to the law. You are freed from that. Stop trying to go back to it. You are Gentiles. Stop trying to act like Jews. Judaizers, stop Judaizing them. He even said, in Galatians, I wish those agitators would go so far as to castrate themselves. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Don't go back. Don't go trying to put laws on yourself and rules and regulations as though our faith was about morals and ethics. Our faith is about a person and that person is Jesus Christ. It's about love and adoration and devotion and faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what our faith is. Why does Luke write his account? It's almost, it's in, in essence, like in this, in, this par, in, this, in this part here, like he didn't have to write the whole thing out again. But it's important. It was important to Luke to write these things for two reasons. One, because Luke makes this point because at the time he is writing Luke and Acts, this great work, the circumcision party, a.k.a. the uber-conservative, legalistic, Hebrew roots type folks, were still around making trouble for the Gentile disciples. These Judaizers are still around during the time that Luke is writing this book. He's writing this. Number two, the Gentiles he knew would be reading this account and wanted them to know when the gospel and the spirit first fell on Gentiles and give them a validation for their fellowship in the church and their inheritance with the Jews in the kingdom of God. So Luke wanted to make, Luke, a Gentile, wanted to make perfectly clear how the Gentiles first started coming to faith in Jesus and were welcomed into the people of God. And Peter said, who am I to stand in the way of God? Because when it is truly a move of God, we should never stand in its way. In fact, you know, like we need to take the wisdom of the Jewish scribe, the Jewish te- great, the great teacher of Israel, Gamaliel, who taught Paul, 
if we do this, if we, you know, in fact, we, it might be better, it would be better to go along with it or at least not stand in its way because we may even be hindering God. It's very wise, even to us. Again, this is the entire basis for the, law, for the letters that Paul would write to the Galatians and the Romans. He's very passionate, as we saw. <clears throat> Castrate themselves. That's kind of strong wording. <laughs> it's, you, know, you talk about circumcision, why don't you just move the knife up a few more inches? It's basically what he's saying. I didn't write it. The Bible wrote it. You're offended by it. Get over it. <laughs> or talk to the author. When we experience an authentic move of God, especially when it may go against our current understanding or worldview, it should cause us also to cease our objections. They ceased their objections and praised God. Their mouths were shut. They had no more to say. They intentionally silenced their own mouths. They became silent and praised God. Sometimes the best thing for us to do is go silent. Stop talking. Contemplate. Pray. Study. Meet with the pastor. Meet meet in fellowship in a Bible study. Now also at the same time, I want to make sure that this is perfectly clear. That grace is not permission to just do anything that you want. It's, it's not a license. It's an invitation to life, not a license to sin. Grace is an invitation into those things that give praise and glory to Yahweh. Into, not into things that are focused on making you happy adding a little bit of Jesus to my life to make my life better, to make my life easier, make my life happier. It's not the, God, the purpose of the gospel. Also, it is an invitation to freedom from legalism and a posture of skepticism. It's freedom. Grasp onto the gospel firmly. Stand firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. But hold your theological convictions lightly and humbly because God may just rock your world. But again, remain vigilant against manipulation because a lot of us who have the propensity for one side are often tempted to to swing to the other. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen like go, you know, go to and or come out of prison or come out of addictions that go all the way over here to to the legalistic, very strict and rules-based because they're so afraid of going back to the addictions or back to the crime. And on the other side, I've I've seen people who are all the all the way over here in this very heavy, you know, religious spirit and they go away from everything religious and they go off into liberalism and they abandon the word of God. And they just go off into sin and, you know, God's good with me. God's grace is sufficient for everything. I can just do whatever I want and have permission and full license to do everything. And God doesn't care. Because they're so afraid of going back into religion, 
of going back maybe into a system that hurt people. They were hurt by religion. A lot of, people, a lot of, us, like, a lot of us have been hurt by religion. But a lot of us have also been hurt by licentiousness. Amen. We've either been hurt by the church or by the culture. And we have the temptation to run to the other side as a way of protecting ourselves from being the evil that we started as. Versus coming to the middle, coming to this balance of grace. That we're not legalistic and we're not licentious. We are experiencing the freedom of God, the freedom of grace, the freedom of the full finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that frees us from guilt and shame and, and law and frees us from guilt and shame and licentiousness and sin. Grasp onto it because, and be, be wary against, uh, be vigilant against manipulation. Either manipulation of the heart by movements that claim to be spirit-filled but are just simply manipulations, utilizing your emotions for psychological, financial, mental, and or relational control and gain. And also be wary of those who manipulate the mind through movements that claim to be conservative and therefore faithful to the word of God but are actually lazy exegesis and clumsy and clunky interpretations that are manipulations of the mind for psychological, financial, mental, and or relational control and gain. They either make you feel virtuous because it's spiritual, or they make you feel virtuous because it's conservative, legalistic, rules-based. We need to be wary of either side. We need to understand that the whole gospel of grace draws us to this. Because this, this won them over. At least most of them, for the, for, the, for, for the most part, for at least for a time, won over these religious folks. They ceased their arguing. They ceased their desire to, to, to divide. They ceased their wrestling and their, and their headbutting and their posture of skepticism and they embraced the Gentiles as brothers and sisters in Christ. They ceased their objections and praised God. They also probably thought that they were too far gone. Who is it in your life that you believe is too far gone? Where do you see yourself on that spectrum of legalistic and and license? Where do you see yourself in this passage this morning? Are you the, the legalistic one that's trying to come to grips with allowing God to give you grace for the other, for another person? Or are you on the licentious part that's saying, that's trying to wrap your mind around this grace? Man, if I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy enough to even come before God. Man, if I walked into that church, lightning would strike me. God would strike me dead if I ducked in the doors of a church. Versus ex- encountering and experiencing the radical grace of God. Where are you in, in, this, in this whole dynamic of legalism and licentiousness? Where, where are you discovering grace in your own life here this morning? And who do you need to have grace for? Like I said, maybe it's the first, the first person you need to ha- start having grace for is the, the person in the mirror. Amen. Not berating yourself. You're terrible. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm a worm. All saved by grace. (laughs) 
you look at that person in the mirror and you say, you are a saint loved by God. You are beloved of the creator of the universe. Don't you dare speak words of hatred and of destruction against that person in the mirror. That person who God loves, who Jesus Christ bled and died for. Don't you dare speak curses over yourself. Speak blessing over that person. Let God speak blessing over that person in the mirror first. And from that, let God speak blessing to others who also need to receive that radical grace. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Siri needs Jesus. (laughs) Three times. Three times. Who in your life needs grace the most right now? How can you be an avenue, be a catalyst for God's grace, even if it's first to yourself? Start here and receive it. Because until you receive it, you can't give it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love that is so patient. (laughs) Lord, your love is so patient. It is so kind. It is unending. Lord, you are so good. Teach us how to give that grace, how to receive that grace. And how to give that grace to others. Lord, even teach us what grace is. We always say it, but Lord, teach us what it means. What is your grace, Lord? Maybe that's where we need to start. God, teach us. Lord, come up and curl up next to us. Draw us close. And show us your grace. Because an experience trumps knowledge every day. Let us experience your grace. Lord, show us where you desire to stir and to transform our, our, our lives here this morning. Be near, Lord God. Be near. And show us your goodness. Lead us and guide us as we discuss and as we commune around the table with you, Lord Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.